Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Dynasty Wonderland podcast with me, your host, the Mad Chatter, Ryan MK, and you can follow me on the Twitters and the Grams at RMK Madness. And as always, by my side, the man, the one and only, do not forget to follow him on the Twitters at AARonStu09. That's right. The salary captain himself, the March Heron, Aaron Stewart. What's up, buddy? How's it going? Oh, it's going well, man. As I always say, Mondays are the highlights of the week because Monday nights means that you and I just get to talk some fantasy football. That is even, right. even when it's June, July, and there's nothing going on, we always manage to have some good stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And speaking of good stuff to talk about, we had a wonderful pod last week. It was an excellent podcast, I would say, Aaron. Well, one of my favorite ones that we've done recently. And uh, for some reason, it didn't. It, well, I know the reason, not for some reason, but it, the podcast didn't make it out until today. Well, yesterday, by the time people listen to this. And, well, the YouTube version was out. But I was waiting to get that I use Captivate for the podcast, right? It's the podcast hosting site. And I go and I upload the audio file. I enter in all the information, the title, the, the description, you know, make sure I got the links for our Twitter on there. I do all that stuff. And then I publish it. Only it didn't publish. And I'm like, what the hell? So I scheduled an Captivate did recently undergo some changes, new look to the site, kind of an upgrade. So I thought maybe there's something going on there. So I reset the publish time for the next day at a certain time. And I checked after that time, the next day, and it's still not published. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? So I once again, try it. And at that point, it's towards the end of the week, and I'm starting to get very frustrated and irritated. So I message Captivate, but this was late afternoon Friday. So, of course, then the weekend comes. I don't hear back from Captivate today. Do you know what Captivate happened to tell me, Aaron? Well, what they say? That the reason it hasn't published is because no audio file uploaded. Oh, how the fuck did no? I do this every time, Aaron. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, if it, it, when it was uploading, if there was some issue with it uploading, why did it not tell me the audio did not upload? It's the weirdest shit. I don't know how I didn't figure it out, but hey, it is what it is. So basically, peoples, uh, if you missed last week's, it is officially out now. And so you'll be able to, you know, kind of double dose. We got a double dose of the DW pod for you, basically. So that's the issue with that, but it was a good pot. So definitely check it out, peoples. And before we get really into the football, we have to bring up the playoffs again. The Stanley Cup finals were, were in the finals, the Stanley Cup final. And Montreal versus Tampa Bay, you got Montreal Canadiens, the first Canadian team since I believe 2005. It's 2005 or 2003. I believe 2005. Since Vancouver was in the Stanley Cup finals, and actually the last time a Canadian team won, it was Montreal, I think like 25, maybe more years ago. So it's been a while since a Canadian team has won the Cup. And 
you know, it's been a minute since they've even been in the Stanley Cup finals. So good to see the Montreal Canadiens in there, a Canadian team. And of course, they're going against Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, uh, you know, they're trying to keep shit rolling. The Bucks won the Super Bowl. They're going to try and win the Cup. Blah, all this Tampa Bay crap. So, of course, you can see I'm kind of rooting for Montreal. <laughs> And they're also the underdogs. So very fun uh, Stanley Cup final. The first game was actually Monday night. Lightning took game one. So come on, Canadians. And then you move to the NBA playoffs. Now this is getting fun. I think we talked a little bit about this. We'd kind of like to see Phoenix, Milwaukee. I thought Phoenix might go ahead and wrap it up, but no. The Clippers ended up winning the game. So we go back to L.A., the series 3-2. And uh, so we'll see what happens there. But I do feel pretty confident that Phoenix is going to be able to close it out in, in the next couple of games. And then on the East, I really would like to see Milwaukee take it. But, man, the Hawks are so fucking fun. Trey Young is so – I really like what the Hawks are doing. You know, I like – I. I would not be upset if they won the whole thing. I just think uh, it's probably going to be the Bucks or the Suns that take the championship. And really, I'd be okay with either one. But, you know, neither series is over yet. L.A. still hanging in there. The Hawks, I mean, hey, they were down two to one against the Sixers and came back and won that series. So I don't think you can count them out. But, uh, man. Fun playoffs all around. I, I know you got a little bit to say about the basketball, probably, right? Certainly, yeah, because Milwaukee is the most interesting team in this in that on paper, and I haven't been following basketball quite as closely as I usually do, but <coughs> I look at that lineup and the rotation, and I'm like, Milwaukee should be killing everybody, and, and they just seem they're, – they're always underachieving, but yet they do – enough to get by when we talked about mm. that they squeaked by the brooklyn nets and so milwaukee's the most infuriating team because i'm like how are they struggling <laughs> how are they not steamrolling teams i feel like right now the four remaining teams phoenix and as we record they just lost game five and it's it's unfortunate but phoenix is the the they're the juggernaut team i that team mm. I, I watch them like golly that's tough to beat them so really feel that phoenix is not only because they're up three games to two in the western conference finals i just i feel like they are hands down the favorite to win this they just they have come out on fire they i mean honestly since covid of last year when they went yep. undefeated in the yep. bubble uh, this sun's team has just been remarkable um i i would Trey Young and, and the Hawks, that would be a fun team. Absolutely. And that would be quite the story of what, what was this? Trey Young's, how many years in the NBA has it been now? This is just year two, I believe. Is it just his second year? I believe so. I, I know he came in the same year, the same draft class as Luka Doncic. But so, you yeah, know, you had a, year two. You had a Hawks Pretty team. Sure. You had a Hawks team that went, you know, like when they drafted Trey Young, they were trash team <laughs> like, right right they actually traded down they traded the draft pick that became Luka Doncic to grab Trey Young and they got some other things too and at the time honestly and, and even today I'm like why would you pass up Luka Doncic um even at that time I was like that kid's gonna be special and he is but you could also say that this has worked out extremely well for the Hawks too. Maybe one mm -hmm. of those rare like win wins. So we'd love to see a Trey Young like the the Hawks have some 
ties to the Golden State Warriors. You can tell that they are clearly building that team exactly the way that the Warriors built their team. And that means mm-hmm. Trey Young is their version of, of Steph Curry. So it's everything, you know, the swag, the confidence, the, you know, he's going to jack up some shots that just look absolutely horrible, but they go in for him. So <laughs> it's, he is if, fun to watch. If there was a player profiler for NBA players, Trey Young's best comparable would be Steph Curry for sure. And uh, he got a lot of comparisons to that in college. And, but, but you're right. And and by the way, I did look, it's actually year three for Luca and Trey Young year three, not year two, but um, yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of more up and coming. So it'd be nice to see Phoenix in there because you got Chris Paul, who's been around a while and he always seems to have the bad luck with injuries, this and that. He always seems to have something to come up that keeps him from getting too far in the playoffs. And then Devin Booker's just been playing amazing. So it'd be nice to see the Suns get there. And it'd be nice to see Giannis, Giannis, I always mix him up, say one or the other. Giannis, it'd be nice to see him take that next step and get his team to the finals. He's got a little more help this year with Holiday and all of that. So, you know, I do think that'd be a fun finals. And again, I'd be cool with either team winning it. And uh, I just appreciate uh, the bit of parody we got this year with, with, you know, as I mentioned, I think previously on a pod, I mean, the final four teams from last year, all done yeah. by the second round. Not one of them won a game in the second round and three were eliminated in the first and the nuggets got swept in the second round. So, you know, those teams from, you know, you got to figure the end of last season, shortened off season going into the, this season, the way everything worked out because of COVID and everything, those teams were just tired and beat to shit by the time it got to the playoffs this year. And, and, and so, you know, in a way you could, say some of the top teams are kind of be taken out. But again, I appreciate that we're going to have a brand new champ and you got some different teams here in the final four. And it's just been, I've just had a lot of fun really with all the, I was pretty pissed off with the hockey playoffs once the avalanche got eliminated. I'm going to be, I'm going to be fucking honest because I really thought this was their year, but it's been a lot of fun, both, both playoffs in my, in my mind. So yeah. I've just had a lot of fun. It's a, it's always good this time of year. Right. Playoff Absolutely. Time. Playoff time. But football is coming up. We're getting there. We're getting there. As you mentioned, this kind of the downtime, the blah time. But we're getting there. We are getting there. So we discuss what there is to discuss in the meantime. And we'll start with random football thoughts. And I just got to start out with. Tom Brady and his little appearance on um, what's the show? Uh, the, the shop, barber shop, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I just found it funny the whole sticking with that motherfucker comment because <laughs> everybody was talking, and I listened to some football podcasts and things like that. And you know, is it people like, is it Jimmy G? Is it? And I'm like, it's not Jimmy G, <laughs> guaranteed. Is it Mitch Trubisky? Is it Derek Carr? And Tom Brady came out and said, it's not Mitch Trubisky. And there seem to be a lot of people that think he was referring to Derek Carr. I just find all of this funny. And it's just, it's just, you know, I'm not the biggest Tom Brady fan, but you got to respect what he's done on the field. And uh, he's got a point about Carr. I mean, (laughs) Carr's 
you know, he's been all right, but he, he's not been anything spectacular. And uh, yeah, you, you could see where Gruden might be sitting there after watching Brady go to the Bucks and take him to the Super Bowl. Like it's just, it, it, the whole thing is just kind of funny to me. So I, you could speak a little bit on it if you want, you don't have to, but I just had to mention that because I, and, and I don't even like Brady that much, but this whole thing I found kind of funny. Yeah. So, and I agree like this, this story is a perfect example of like where we're at in the off season. Cause everyone I think was blowing this way out of proportion on it, or, or maybe they were just, you know, it's, it's something to talk about. Um, but I'm with you like the Jimmy G I, a lot of people kind of align the stars there. And, you know, obviously there was something going on in, in new England. There was this, the power struggle between mm-hmm. Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and, and people that may have forgotten, you know, Jimmy G was a very coveted quarterback in, in the NFL. And, right. and even Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo move on from Brady, man, that would have changed a lot of NFL history, but I'm with mm-hmm. you. I don't think it's Garoppolo. I really don't. And, and Carr was an interesting one too. And, but I don't think it was Carr either, mainly because if you look at it, John Gruden being the coach, John Gruden, his 10-year contract, John Gruden, who's never added his quarterback to this Raiders team, he would have jumped at the chance to get Tom Brady. Like, I just, I can't get behind that Mm. one, but there is one quarterback, one team that you didn't mention that, like, the timeline on this is, like, perfect, and there's a lot of things that make sense. The Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill. Um, this, so Ryan Tannehill, here, here's some of the interesting things. Uh, obviously, Tannehill started his career in Miami. He played six seasons in Miami, which means he played a lot of games against Tom Brady. So this motherfucker that he's talking about, maybe the guy that he, he beat multiple times, <laughs> between 2012 and 2018 and we all know those Miami Dolphin years for for Ryan Tannehill not good at all not good because he threw what was it I've I've got stats here so he he actually did better than, than I thought but 123 touchdowns to 75 interceptions um but then the interesting thing was the 2019 season that was that was his first season in Tennessee. He gets traded for nothing. The Miami Dolphins moved on from Tannehill because they were starting their process, collecting draft, draft picks, wanted to build their team. 2019, in the playoffs, the Patriots and the Titans played each other. That was when the Titans were 9-7. and seven. The Patriots only had to play in the wild card game because they lost the Week 17 game against the Miami Dolphins, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, I know I'm having to think back a, a, a little over a year on that one. And so the Titans, we knew were kind of an up and coming team, like they were having some success, but they were nine and seven. Not a lot of people thought they would beat the Patriots because Patriots were 12 and four, which is what they always seem to be. So mm. it's 12 and four Patriots team in the playoffs in new england it was going to be an easy win but no the six seed tennessee titans with ryan Tannehill at quarterback beat tom brady and that was his last last game with the patriots ryan Tannehill was the quarterback that beat brady in his last game with the patriots so then that offseason so 
Tannehill and Brady were both free agents. Mm. Tannehill signs his four-year $118 million contract March 15th, 2020. Five days later, Tom Brady signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on March 20th. Interesting. The timeline, everything just lines up perfect. Uh, I, If I was to say a second team, uh, mainly because I don't, I don't know. Like he was pretty adamant about like, I'm going to beat whoever the motherfucker was that he was referencing. He said, I'm going to beat that, that guy. And Garoppolo would be my number two on that one, because what he do, he ended up signing with Tampa Bay, same conference. So the idea of, Oh, San Francisco thinks they're going to be, they're going to be good. And, uh, and and they were, they, they were in the Super Bowl. So Brady might've signed with the, with, Tampa Bay so that hoping he could go against Garoppolo in the NFC playoffs to beat him. That's the second one. It's not, not a sexy one, but I'm pretty certain it's Brian Tannehill. Just that connection. I didn't think about that. That would just be shocking to me because in my mind, Tannehill is better than Carr, Trubisky, maybe even Jimmy G. And so like, it's kind of interesting that that would be the one, but the way you spell it out, yeah, and lay it out. It makes sense. It makes sense. It, it's a competitive nature, and and Brady is shown to be the type of guy. And I don't hold this against him. I feel like it, it's what helps drive some of the best players in, in any sport. Is like those guys that hold grudges. You know, Michael Jordan. You know, to you know would look to he would look to find things to offend him so he could use that mm-hmm. to fuel him and brady's wired the same exact way so Very you know true. the fact that six years that's a division rival that he went went against and that brady and no player has a perfect uh perfect career there but brady's new england patriots uh run was ended by Ryan Tannehill of all mm-hmm. people, you know that's got that eat motherfucker. <laughs> that motherfucker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, move on to the next one. The Pittsburgh Steelers cut to Castro, and I thought this was interesting because obviously it's more about the Pittsburgh offensive line. And I've seen occasionally on Twitter people saying, "Why are people so worried about the offensive line?" There's a good reason if you look at what happened last year, and then it, you know clearly. Things weren't working last year. So changes are understandable. However, I, do, I, I don't, in, unless they think some of these young guys, uh, back, uh, I don't know. I, like, <clears throat> they must have faith in who they're holding on to and feel like they can be coached into performing how they want to be before. Because I, it, like, DeCastro sounds like it could have been a salary cap move a bit, but it, it just like this seems to be for most people. And, you know, we can't know. We're not the Steelers. We don't have as much information as they do. But just looking uh, from the outside, most of us would say that this O-line is a fucking big concern. And it's weird because it doesn't seem to be to Pittsburgh. Normally, this would make me go okay, then, you know, maybe we should chill because they seem fine with it. But this is fucking weird all around to me. And um, so it's just kind of like, this just feels like this. I'm just starting to wonder exactly how this Steelers season is going to go because I'm a little worried 
it could not go very well. <laughs> and not that that doesn't mean there could, there's not fantasy points to be garnered out of the offense, but I mean, I, all around, I'm just, the more I look at it, I'm like, I think this, this could be a bad final run for, for big Ben and the Steelers this year. I, I, I just, the way it's looking. Right. Um, there, there are a couple of things with David DeCastro and, and it is, that's a very notable name for them to move on from uh, right. six or sorry, nine seasons with the Steelers. It, I want to say six pro bowls, two all pros. Like Pittsburgh is, is known for just, they, they draft these just stud offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I remember as far back as I've followed football since the mid two thousands, um, like it, it, they've all Allen, um, Fineco, Fineca, I probably I butchered his name. I remember him being a very notable offensive yeah. lineman. But they 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 have these guys eight, nine, ten seasons. Now I, I dug in a little deeper in the DeCastro thing, kind of figure out what was going on because a the timing was like wow, like we are we are late, you know. Into mm. like if it was solely salary cap, I think it would have happened earlier. Um, cause the interesting thing on DeCastro's contract is uh, all the guarantee money he's already got. Like there is, there's a cap hit. There's a dead cap hit, um, uh, that come, that came from a restructured bonus. Um, and that's money he's already been paid. So right. the cash part, he got that money, the cap part there definitely plays a part. They're going to save right under $9 million on the cap. Pittsburgh has been tight against the salary mm. cap. Uh, I mean, the Rotless, uh, Ben Rotlisberger has had to restructure his contract. It's that's that's why we're starting to see some of these notable names. Like that's what happens with teams. You, you can only the these teams that keep their core guys six, seven, eight seasons. Eventually, there gets a point where you go, "Holy crap! They've replaced. They've lost four offensive line starters." And like that, that stuff happens eventually that roster becomes very expensive. Now, the the thing that's more than likely happening here is DeCastro, it, it was a non-football injury was the reason they they apparently cut him. Now, mm. there is, there's not much revealed on that. It has something to do with an ankle injury that he has. There's reports about he's going to have to get surgery on it. Hey, if he's getting surgery on it and we're about to be in July – is he even going to play this season? That's probably right. why they cut him. And there's, there's probably a pretty good chance that that his career's done. He, he may opt to just retire. So it was kind of weird, uh, the timing of that, and that was a notable name. And Steelers fans have got to be like, what in the world's going on? But they were really, really quick to sign his replacement, uh, Trey Turner, who most recently played with the Chargers, also mm-hmm. played with the Panthers. Uh, this uh, a little bit younger player and a guy that has had a pretty good career as well, but had some of the same uh, issues as David DeCastro. It's right. it's injury related. It's not performance. I uh, pulled up Trey Turner's contract. It's the details aren't out, but it's the consensus is it's a one year, $3 million contract. So in total, the combination of these moves here is they cut DeCastro that saves just under $9 million. Then you pay $3 million to Trey Turner. So from a football move, it's good. You've got a replaceable player for David DeCastro that you brought in. 
And yet you still get to clear about $6 million in cap room. That makes a lot of sense from a football move. Uh, for some people that, that, that go, man, how can they do DeCastro dirty like that? Uh, it seems like the people that follow this team are thinking that it's going to be a retirement. Or if not, DeCastro probably going to take his time to sign somewhere. It's, mm-hmm. He's hurt. He's having to get surgery. I don't know the extent of what the injury is, but Hey, you know, take, take time, like, and shoot. If he, if he doesn't retire, man, imagine if he signed with one of these AFC teams, uh, one team that would be interesting would be the Baltimore Ravens. They've, mm-hmm. they've got some young guards. And if those guys don't quite pan out there, the, the Ravens have already taken one Steelers offensive lineman, uh, the villain, what uh, villain, Villanueva. Yes, sir. Uh, so, Get, get to Castro, who was the right card there. I I know the Ravens have young guards. I think they're pretty set at right guard, but it's 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 something worth thinking. But it's injury related uh, more so than salary cap related. Oh yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Trey Turner because like I, I I felt it was a little bit to do with the salary cap and a little bit because they have a plan now. Whether or not this plan you know, succeeds or not, we'll see what happens during the season. And like I said, it's a bit worrisome if you ask me, but it does feel like, you know, okay. I didn't know. I think I did read about the injury, but I must've forgot, but okay. You add in the injury aspect with the salary Mm -hmm. cap aspect and then Trey Turner. Thank you for bringing him up. I forgot to mention him when I spoke. So they had an idea for replacement in mind, I'm assuming. So you put all this stuff together. Like I said, they must have some sort of plan for this line, whether or not it pans out, I mean, is going to be the question. And that's really going to probably determine how effective this offense is, but uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. So, right. It is bad news for Najee. I mean, that that's, I think, been our number one thing of why at least I've been hesitant with Najee. I mean, I'll acknowledge that Najee is going to get a massive workload. But that offensive line was pretty concerning. It's like, man, you're losing a lot. And I'm, I'm looking at our lads. Uh, I, I like going to their site for depth chart. They're usually pretty Yes, they are pretty and, good, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, and, I, you know, you look in there, and it, it's a bunch of young guys. <laughs> it's a yeah. bunch of, like, they've got a second-year guard uh, slated to start, a left guard, uh, Kevin Dotson. You know, they, they drafted a couple of offensive linemen in the third and fourth round this year. It's – man, Trey Turner, I think is the oldest guy there. And, and he was a few years younger than David DeCastro. So it's an offensive line that has gotten younger and that's not a bad thing. You know, if you're offensive line, they had so many guys in their thirties. Yeah. So it's, it could work, but you know, you have Zach Banner at right tackle and he's coming back from a pretty bad, I want to say it was torn ACL or it might've been Achilles. It was one of the bad ones where, Mm -hmm. you know, when it happens, you know, you're like, you're out for the season. There's no chance coming back. So it is between, you've got guys that are just, they they don't have a lot of starts. Doesn't mean they're going to be bad players. It's just that experience that Pittsburgh offensive line usually has it, you know, it's this could go one of two ways. Like it could be that necessary youth movement 
to, mm-hmm. to help that they needed to do, or all that inexperience is just leads to just a horrible offensive line that can't protect Ben Roethlisberger, who's completely immobile right now. Right, exactly. And for, and for Najee, like we we even saw a, a more superior prospect in Saquon Barkley. Like if it doesn't matter how good of a running back you are. If your offensive line can't do anything, like I still remember the the Giants game where Barkley had like this absurd amount of carries. It was ah man, it ah, it was like eighteen carries, and you know you got like twenty something yards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it was against the Steelers too. I don't remember the exact numbers. But. We've seen that. I, I remember seeing a little bit of that from Joe Mixon too, where it was yeah. just like, yeah, he got a hefty workload, didn't do a whole lot with it because the fucking entire offense is terrible. And, and, you know, so I, <clears throat> it's, it's the offensive line is, it's a very important thing. And I'm not going to ask, or I'm not going to pretend like I'm some, football savant that knows everything about the ins and outs but from everything i understand this is one position the offensive line where the coaching is pretty important so if they've got some talent even if they're inexperienced and the coaching can get them to playing together which pittsburgh's known to do with their lines then they might be okay but it, it it is concerning because you've got this you've got what otherwise looks like a team that's pretty you know win now and like an offensive line that feels like it's being put together on the fly and you're just like like you said with with the immobile or older quarterback back there I mean it this just I don't know it feels a little sticky feels a little sticky very much so it's not a good time to be a Steelers fan it's but yeah every team has to go through these these time periods where you have to tear down, you know, the team gets old, the team gets its yeah. window closes. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I wouldn't really change Najee Harris. Right? Like you might bump him down a little bit. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, he is going to get volume. Volume is the most important thing in fantasy football, but eat some of the concerns I had with Najee Harris now coming to fruition here and I'm yep. team Javante. So. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay, we move on to what I was going to say here was we're, get, we're we're approaching that, you know, Scott Fishbowl time, about a week till the actual draft. Mm-hmm. We've entered, we've entered another mock draft. So I was going to kind of want to talk about that, but I figure, you know, we just started that second mock Let's save this shit for next week and we can kind of talk more about it um, because at that point we'll have gotten far in this mock draft and we'll be getting the regular draft underway. So we can kind of attack the Scott Fishbowl a little more next week if you're good with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to see where the second mock goes. Oh, man. We're drafting with the Roto Underworld crew. So no. uh, I know we got Ray Garvin. Of course, we got the Podfather. Got got Larky, Cody Carpentier, you know, friend of the Dynasty Wonderland. A lot of sharp minds, you know, and yes. sometimes we a little intimidating. It's like, oh, man, I'm going against the the, the wolves here. But, you know, it, it makes you a better, better drafter, a better. Oh, strategist. yeah. So. I love it because I know I got to be sharp. You know, mm. I got to be. I saw you take Waller. 
<laughs> well, all the quarterbacks I really wanted were gone. I considered Aaron Rodgers because I do believe he's likely to appear and play this year. And oh, yeah. so, but I was kind of like thinking also, I, I want some more mobility. And then I kind of, you know, I usually pretty much trust myself in what I go with. This, is, this was a time where I was like, I'm going to check our lovely rankings on playerprofiler.com because they have Scott Fishbowl rankings on there. Great job, fellas. Great job. So very excited about that. So I went and checked on there and, uh, you know, player profiler, the pod father, then people's, they, they love them some Jalen Hurts too. So I was like, mm-hmm. fuck it. I'm going Hurts and Waller. Why the fuck not? Get my, my quarterback and my tight end right off the bat. And then you got that third round reversal. And so I'm probably looking at a running back. We'll see what happens when it gets to me. We'll see who's all on the board, but, but uh, I'm, I'm feel solid about my first two picks so far. So yeah, see, I said we could save it till next week, and we're already talking about it. So, <laughs> that's good. That's as far as we've I, – I got my second pick. Um, you know, looking back, and which that's why we mock draft. I, right. I, I'm picking from the eight spot. I, I went Russell Wilson. I don't hate it. But looking back, I wish I would have gone Kelsey. Um, that, I was kind of going back and forth. I wish I would have gone Travis Kelsey and gone QB in the, in the second round. But I went Russell Wilson, and – when it came back around the second round, I thought about going in and grab my second QB, but I, I'm trying to kind of play it in terms of like, I'm going off rankings as well. The rankings from player profiler, but also I'm trying to treat it as like the people I'm going to draft with, they're going to have their own rankings and trying to right. implement some ADP. So I was sitting there with Zeke, right? <laughs> like staring me in the face, Zeke on a good offense going to get lots of first downs Mm-hmm. score hopefully i mean when when dak was there zeke was was fine i know people go he's not the most efficient running back i don't care <laughs> right still a running back on a what should be a good offense and so i went zeke i know like in the super flex league it should go qb but kind of looking ahead like third round um i'm like there should still be good quarterbacks <laughs> so really wanted to make sure i got pieces of good offenses so with this mock draft I like the, the two players I start with, Russell Wilson, Ezekiel Elliott, two guys on on good offenses or mm-hmm. that should have the ball a lot. But, yeah, uh, looking back, I kind of wish I would have tried it with Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely could see that. But Russell Wilson's good to have, man. Russell Wilson's good to have. And, and uh, I would have been okay because then maybe Russell Wilson would have been left for me and I would have taken him. But then I might have gone <laughs> – Russ and Jalen, I don't know. It would have been tough, but I got a QB, a tight end. I like it, so I'm going to see what's there at my what's there uh, my next pick. And uh, if there's a running back I really like, I may go RB. Otherwise, I'll probably look for my second quarterback, maybe even tight end. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, nice. yes, good start. So we'll get into more of the Scott Fishbowl stuff next week um, as we wrap up our mock draft and get into the actual Scott Fishbowl drafting. <sighs> okay. I think we'll take a little break. We'll get back in. Oh, one thing, one thing before we go to break. I don't know if you saw this, but apparently – Teams are interested in a one Brandon Jacobs. 
Why? Why? Why is his name coming back up? I mean, is is he 50 now? I mean, like, what, what is going on? Cheap rookie running backs are just, like, why? Why? Did you hear about this at all? I did. Although, isn't he trying to play, like, defensive line now? He's always a big Is that boy. what it is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's Interesting. where he, he went on record saying that he would like to play defensive line, in which he still, to his credit, it's not that he's out of shape or anything. <laughs> he looks like a freak in nature. I mean, he always was. He was this, like, 260-something pound running back. So it's not to play running back, at least last I heard. Um, okay. Was, okay, I didn't he wants see to that. Try, that's interesting. Yeah. He wants I mean, to that's, try defensive line. That's tough after – time off and change a position but i mean hey if he pulls it off good for him good for him interesting did not know that okay all right we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back we're going to talk a little quarterback okay we're going to talk some quarterback camp battles that we're going to see here coming up in training camp and how all of this how we might see it working out how it pertains to fantasy all of that and then we'll finish the show off with a little tight end chatter so quick break and we'll be right back for qb camp battle talk camp battles we got training camp coming up i mean it's going to be a minute but we got it coming eventually and uh, there's some interesting quarterback battles going on and we're going to get into them how they pertain to fantasy we'll begin the patriots the bears a couple of teams where it seems like the veteran should get the start now with the bears you got dalton there matt nagy Keeps continuing to say that Dalton will be the week one starter. Almost as if they promised it to him. But I also wonder, Nagy, having come from Kansas City, who sat Patrick Mahomes a whole year, you have to wonder. Now, the difference would be the Chiefs at that time had a pretty good team. Alex Smith was playing solid. They were in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. The Bears, it's very clear they, they need a fucking quarterback, and uh, Dalton is not the answer. So I don't believe Fields will f- sit the whole year, but I do believe Dalton will start. Now, with Cam Newton and the Patriots, I've kind of believed up until recently that he would for sure be the starter. But Mac Jones making a little bit of noise. There are those who do believe that while not one of the more talented quarterbacks of the class. He is one of the more pro-ready, ready-to-start quarterbacks in the class. And so, <clears throat> by the way, Mac versus Cam, Cam versus Mac. I just think that's fine. I'm sure it's been mentioned before, but I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I feel like 
I, yeah, Mac has might actually have a chance, Mac Jones. Um, but I do feel like we're going to see Andy Dalton week one, especially I, th- I believe they're going to L.A. to play the Rams. And so I, I imagine they're just going to let Dalton get fucking torn. <laughs> a sacrificial lamb almost. Um, and then maybe they give him a few weeks. And because I do believe if I remember that first part of the Bears schedule, little bit tricky so maybe they let Dalton play through that bring in fields in bring him in when the the schedule lightens up a little bit um but those are kind of my thoughts on those two situations feel free Aaron give me your thoughts yeah between these the the two rookie quarterbacks here fields of the Bears Mac Jones of the Patriots uh I think one of the factors that's going to play a big part is in New England, Bill Belichick, his job is safe no matter what. Like he could go 0 and 16 from back to back seasons, still right. be safe, you know. But in Chicago, a lot of people's jobs are on the line this year. Matt Nagy, uh, Nagy, Ryan Pace, the GM, their jobs are dependent on the success of the Bears and in particular Justin Fields. And usually these rookie quarterbacks, we're like, okay, when would be the optimal time? You look at the schedule, and you're like, here's a nice little like easy stretch, or like maybe back-to-back home games, or something to help incorporate the rookie quarterback. Chicago, though, it's the image I have for that is the the SpongeBob thing, where SpongeBob's got all the people, the little SpongeBob's in his brain running around, everything's on fire. <laughs> like that's how I imagine it's going in Chicago right now. So, right, I I believe Justin Fields could be the one he between these two rookie quarterbacks to start first. Hmm. I, and the ideal time is like week four, week five. They've right. they're, they're going against the Lions. Yeah, they're going against the Lions, going against the Raiders. You mentioned like they had that rough start. And the starts just the week one game, not only is it against the Rams, it's it's Sunday night football. It's primetime football. Uh, shout out to Brodo Fantasy. Uh, I was listening to their podcast about a week ago. And, and like they mentioned, like it's primetime game. Like, yeah, you're not going to throw a quarterback, a rookie quarterback out there. And Mac Jones, I I agree with you that he may be the most pro ready of those two quarterbacks of these two rookie quarterbacks. And the reason I feel like they may wait a little bit is you look at the start of their schedule week one against the Miami dolphins week two against the New York jets and week three, they get to go against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. These are three huge games for the New England Patriots because that's two division rival games and then the defending Super Bowl champions. Like you you come out one and two or God forbid, oh and three, you're waving the white flag. Like it's going to be difficult to come back from that type of start. And and week four is actually against the Houston Texans. And, and Mac Jones, Bill Belichick is going to put whatever the best player is. He doesn't care about all yes. these like yeah, like he doesn't care about like sitting rookie quarterback. If Mac Jones shows throughout training camp and then when we get into preseason that he's just the better quarterback than Cam Newton, then Bill Belichick will start him from week one. Now, some of the reasons why I think that they will wait on Mac Jones is Cam Newton. I know last year was bad. Cam Newton, uh, he actually played against Miami in week one last year. And he had 25.7 fantasy points. He was the sixth highest scoring quarterback in fantasy football. And he followed it up the next week with 35.6 fantasy points. Like Cam Newton, people forget how great his the start of his first season with the Patriots was. And that was, he didn't know the offense. He signed really late with the Patriots. 
And then, of course, COVID and everything went downhill from there. For New it York. did, yes. Um, he he played two games against the Jets actually in the second half of the season, weeks nine and week seventeen. Put up twenty four point six fantasy points, and get this, week seventeen. 37 and a half fantasy points. He was the number one fantasy quarterback in week 17. I get it. It's week 17. We don't care about that in fantasy football unless your league is just mismanaged by the commissioner. No <laughs> one's playing in the final week of the season. But Cam Newton showed the last game of the season, he well, he can own the Jets. I know that's not really saying much, but hey, those are the first two teams I played. Miami Dolphins that he had he had a lot of success in week one last year against the Dolphins and week two against the Jets that he owned them twice. So I see Cam Newton coming out. He's the veteran quarterback because there is, when you put a rookie quarterback out there, like there is to the rest of the team, it's like, Oh, great. Like we're, how are we, like, what are we even playing for? Like it's a growing pains here. Now, yes, you get a Justin Herbert season. Those are once in a blue moon. So of the two, back to the original question, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, who I think starts first. I'm going to say Justin Fields because Chicago's desperate, very, very desperate. But with New England, those first three games are important to watch. If Cam mm-hmm. Newton starts, and even if he plays – even if he plays well, if they drop two division games and they lose to the defending Super Bowl champions that are just hands down a better team than them, they're 0-3. They'd probably go week four, Houston Texans, weak opponent. Let's go ahead and make the switch, and you mm. know, we're waving the white flag. But, yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that. I do think Cam will get the start week one. I think Bill Belichick really likes him, which is such – it's such a contrast – Bit from him and Brady to him and Cam, and it's it's really kind of an interesting thing. But uh, <clears throat> um, the the only pushback I would have with the Bears is that I would think if they let this regime have a go at another rookie quarterback, I think they're probably safe this year. That would be my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. But um, so I feel like. They're a little safe, so they're going to take their time. And I'm with you on Belichick. He's going to put who out there, whoever out there is, is going to help them win. And right. some people seem to think, you know, he really wants to figure this out because he would really love to beat him some Tom Brady in the Buccaneers. <laughs> and so it, it, it is interesting, and I just feel like, I mean, unless Mac Jones is just fucking unbelievable i you have to play cam because i do think you know like you said he started out well then covid hit it went downhill and, and like you said wasn't learning the playbook i mean there's so much stuff to it but yes i do i do think uh both the veterans start and we'll see maybe maybe these rooks start around the same time really yeah. i mean it, it should be pretty close um unless cam newton is just tearing it up uh, <laughs> then maybe Mac waits a little longer, but uh, they also built this offense for Cam Newton strengths. You know, it's a right. They getting all the tight ends and having so many running backs. Like this is going to be like a power offense, which not saying that Mac Jones can't succeed in this, but like, this is very much how you would build an offense around Cam Newton. So everything I agree. there is, I, I I'm, rooting for mac jones at the same time i'm not gonna the hate for cam newton's gotten out of control yes i agree 
Well, whatever gives them the best chance to win, especially that week three game. Right, right. It was going to be like this motherfucker. Now everybody's talking now like it was all him and none of me. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to take this motherfucker. <laughs> so, all right. I'm going to go kind of out of the order of the way I listed everything and hit up another rookie quarterback in a competition. And this would be in San Francisco, the Bay Area. You got Jimmy G versus the number three pick, Trey Lance. Um, I believe we mentioned this last week. San Francisco, the coaching staff is really working on uh, Trey Lance's um, development, working on his mechanics, trying to work out some of the kinks because they want to unleash his full arsenal during training camp. And as I mentioned, I believe that's because, you know, uh, they really want him to win that job and so they can deal Jimmy G. And looking at this, I do think that's what the Niners want to have. The Niners believe they can be contenders. They were in the Super Bowl. There was something there where they, I just, I don't think they, I think they lost their faith in Jimmy G. And last year they had their injury issues and all of that. So they were like, this year we're going to come back. We're going to try and put this thing full strength and go for it. We need a little something more from the quarterback position. So I feel like the only way, that Trey Lance is not starting week one is if he really just can't put enough of it together. And we'll see how that goes, training camp preseason. But I do really believe it. everything I've seen, what it says to me is the Niners are going to do everything they can to get Trey Lance ready for week one. Nice. And, and I actually I- – I've got the the other stance with it, and is nothing to do. I believe in the talent of Trey Lance, mm-hmm. and and it was mainly when I I was looking at the 49ers schedule, I'm trying to figure out okay, like you you try to you try to give them you don't want to set them up to fail. <laughs> so oh yeah, because you know, he, he is raw. He, he's right. got some rawness to him, and he's he is going from North Dakota State to the NFL. That's Correct. a pretty big jump. That's why I feel like they'll be patient. Like you talked about with Matt Nagy and being with the Chiefs and they have Patrick Mahomes, they let him sit for a year. I think Trey Lance of the rookie quarterbacks is more likely to sit uh, for a year. I don't think he'll sit the entire season. When I look at the schedule, what what I think is going to happen, Jimmy G starts the season. Jimmy G will have to be incredibly bad for them to move on because you still have to kind of get some some – you know, bang for your bucks there. And, and you're still letting Trey Lance kind of develop. You work on things. Hey, if he's a, if he is ahead of schedule, awesome. Then <laughs> you, you make that switch when, when you're ready. Um, mm-hmm. But the 49ers, they're by weeks, week six. And I feel like by weeks when they start to go, we can make this change. That's what the Dolphins did with Tua. And, and mm-hmm. Tua is dealing with a bad hip. Now, I don't think it's going to be right after the bye week. The, the ideal time is week nine. Week nine and week 10, they have back-to-back home games against the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams, yes, not the best defense to throw a rookie quarterback, but by midseason, we've seen defenses that were good one season, they're bad the next, the next season. 
but also the middle of the season, hey, your rookie quarterback that you took with the third overall pick, he better be able to play. And week 11 is a road game, but it's against the Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars. And that is a perfect Trey Lance versus Trevor Lawrence rookie quarterback duel right Mm -hmm. there. Jaguars don't they're not expected to be good either. So it's like, okay, the first road game that Trey Lance will get to play in this scenario is against a team that shouldn't be that, that good. And then week 12, you come back home and you get to go against the Minnesota Vikings. So this four game stretch would be just a perfect time. Like, Hey, Trey Lance, you work on everything you treat him. You want to make sure you don't ruin this guy because everyone's jobs are on the line on this one. Like they're not going to get fired for one bad season, but if they end up screwing this thing up with Trey Lance, everyone's heads are going to roll eventually. So you, 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 you're patient with them. You do what the Chiefs do with Patrick Mahomes. And if, if Jimmy G, if he's making, making the passes, I know last year, last year was a bad season for Jimmy G, but he was dealing with injuries. If if Garoppolo is healthy, and he's doing a very simple job there. It's a West Coast offense. That's right. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. You're not gonna have to, you don't have to make amazing passes. Those are yak guys. Get the ball in their hands, they're gonna make plays happen. Meanwhile, you're developing Trey Lance. And hey, if Garoppolo plays well, that actually helps the 49ers because you talked about like they they'll want they'll want to trade him. If Garoppolo goes out and has a good season. Um, or even a decent season, they can get some draft capital for them. And we know they're going to move on uh, to Trey Lance. And that four-game stretch in weeks 9 through 12 that features three home games and a road game against the Jaguars, that's like, to me, that's where I'm, I'm hoping that we have half a season get Trey Lance ready. If he is ready to, to be the starting QB, perfect way to build confidence right there. I must say, I don't really necessarily disagree with anything you said because it makes sense. It's very logical. Uh, NFL teams are not always uh, logical <laughs> and make sense. Right. And most quarterbacks taken at the very top of the draft, they start pretty quick. I believe the report of them pushing uh, the, the adjustment of his mechanics and all of this to quote unquote, open up his arsenal for training camp. I truly believe they've seen enough of Jimmy G. They believe they're contenders. They were just in the Super Bowl not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they he, he, Jimmy G disappointed him with that. And I agree with you. He's actually a solid quarterback when healthy, but I, I do believe they just seen enough of them and they gave up a lot to get Trey Lance. And I think they want to try and push it to make it happen. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, and your way seems a lot more logical, but again, I right. it, just from what I see, I see, uh, you know, a team and organization that's like, man, we were just there. We can be right there again. We need a little something extra, particularly from that position. And as you said, it's the West Coast offense, you know, not difficult passes. Get the guys the ball, let them yak. Trey Lance could probably do that. I mean, so I, I'm just saying I, that's where I see it going. And, um, <clears throat> you know, what? but again, 
the way you put it, it makes sense to me. Complete fucking sense. Um, I'm just now. I don't think they're going to do that, but we'll see. We will <laughs> see. That's definitely an interesting one. They have um, options. San Francisco right. will be very interesting to watch this year because, right. yeah, like as you mentioned, and I agree with you too. It's like you don't trade up all those draft picks necessarily to sit a guy you're trying to maximize and I, I get that too so that's that's why this one is so much fun to watch because both sides make sense let them sit and develop or play them as early as possible it it'll be interesting to see what san francisco does probably creates the strongest quarterback competition because yeah. garoppolo has got to be like perfect he like he has right. to have that alex smith season with the Chiefs back in what, 2017, where right. Alex Smith was just – he was good at not turning over the ball and, and making enough plays that you're like, you, you can't remove them. Right, right. It's definitely an interesting one, man. I'm intrigued, intrigued to see where that goes, as I am with another camp uh, competition in my hometown of Denver, Colorado. You got Teddy – Teddy B versus a one Mr. Drew Locke. And, um, you know, if indeed it is these two quarterbacks, I believe because Locke was working with Peyton Manning and the Broncos tend to, you know, take that with the grace. I do believe Locke's going to get a chance. Um, however, I don't think they'll fuck around and they'll be too hesitant to put Teddy in there if Locke starts turning the ball over nonstop, uh, especially because Fanzio is a defensive coach and you know defenses. They don't want a quarterback in there that's going to keep fucking turning the ball over. So if Locke does not start out well, he's not going to last long. Um, But I'm going to give you a surprise prediction. I believe... Denver actually acquires a new quarterback via trade. Um, not the disgruntled one from Wisconsin. I believe they get Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson recently talked about Denver. Oh, well, he told it to another player who said on a radio interview, but and it could be bullshit, but it would make a lot of sense. Watson wants to play in Denver. All the stuff surrounding him has been real quiet. And I I do listen to pro football talk with Mike Florio and Chris Sims is on there. And yeah, not all the information is great. But one thing I do like about Florio, he's a former lawyer. So when it comes to some of these cases around the NFL, he has a lot of good fucking insight. And what he was talking about is it's real quiet right now. To him, that means they're getting shit settled. Mm -hmm. If they're getting shit settled, there's a chance maybe Deshaun Watson doesn't face that much disciplinary action at all. I mean, we'll have to see how this turns out, but with, with not a lot of news and, and the lawyers, you know, for a while there were publicly making statements against each other. And a lot of that's been calmed down. So we'll have to see how this plays out, but that's my bold prediction is that Denver actually acquires Deshaun Watson. Now, maybe they give up uh, Drew Locke to make that happen. Who knows how they go about doing it? But uh, it sounds like Houston, while they were initially ready to fight to hold on to Deshaun Watson, it seems like now they're 
they're ready to move on. So, <laughs> so we'll have to see how this plays out. But I, I, if I had a prediction, I think that's what's going to happen. And, um, you know, that's really going to shake sh- some shit up if it does. So, but, but that's my boldest prediction of the podcast. Cause that's what I got. Uh, I, nothing too crazy for any of the rest of the, this is what I got for you. I think by the start of the season, Deshaun Watson's going to be on the Broncos. And uh, it's, it's weird because it, as someone who lives, I'm not a huge Broncos fan and it'd be cool to see the Broncos get a quarterback, but man, I don't like Deshaun Watson like I once did, Aaron. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I don't care if he doesn't get in trouble or not. You, can, you can't tell me 20-some complaints and you didn't do anything wrong. Kiss my ass. So, hey, you know, that's, that's just me. But uh, as far as on the football field, it, you know, if they do that, Whew, that's going to make that team scary. And, and, and fantasy wise, I mean, that's what you want. Cause you've got these weapons. I saw something else on, on Twitter where people were talking about, Oh, somebody was like, Denver's weapons aren't even that good. And I'm like, people are really down on like Sutton and Judy. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I like you think Javante Williams is going to be a big deal. Like this yeah. is an offense and potentially a defense that are set up to really contend if they have something at that quarterback position. And we know what Teddy is. We, we believe we know what Drew Locke is. And I just don't see either one of them carrying this team where they need to go. And I believe that they would love to get Aaron Rodgers. I don't think that's going to happen. So do they ride it out, see if they can try and get him next year? Or do they get Deshaun fucking Watson, who wants to be there if they can? Okay, I'm done rambling. That's what I see happening. No, I, I love from a fantasy perspective. Right. Having Watson there. Yeah, because right now, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, neither one of those guys excites me in, in Denver. And that's a shame because you mentioned there are there are so many dangerous weapons in the passing game. Yes. Um. But when it comes to, at least right now, what, what we know is it's a battle between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. I agree with you. I know it makes for very boring podcasts, but Teddy Bridgewater, will he start games? If Drew Locke screws up, yes. I don't see Bridgewater as a guy that you bring in. You're like, yep, we brought him in to replace Drew Locke. Was Drew Locke horrible last year? Absolutely. Drew Locke at least has potential. Like Teddy Bridgewater, you know what you're going to get. We saw it with with Carolina. Bridgewater, he is a bridge. (laughs) He's a bridge quarterback. If they start Teddy Bridgewater, that's that's waving a white flag. Mm -hmm. It's waving the white flag on Drew Locke. It's waving the white flag on the Broncos competing. In 2021. I know. It's a dang shame because that is that roster outside the quarterback position. That's not a bad roster. It's got some intriguing pieces on defense. There's receiving weapons. It's an offensive line that's that's putting the pieces together there. They are an Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson trade away from being yep. a very dangerous team come playoff time. Uh, Bridgewater, though, especially you look at what they gave up to acquire Bridgewater. Mm. Carolina, he was... He was not good in Carolina to the point that he they opted to move on from him and bring in Sam Donald. That tells you all you really need to know with Bridgewater. Will he start some games this year? I'm sure. It seems that 
if they roll with Drew Lock, Drew Lock's going to have one of those horrible games where his accuracy is just all over the place. But if you're the Denver Broncos, you're still hoping. You're hoping that Drew Lock shows something. It is oh, a yeah. break season, and, and they're going to give him every chance to succeed. And you know what? Start the season. You got the Giants, you got the Jaguars, you got the Jets. Like they have to, they have to start Drew Lock. Those are defenses mm. that should be beatable. And and you know what? Drew Lock screws up then. Okay, you move on to Bridgewater, which Bridgewater can at the very least, he can make safe plays. It he is can, true. He can keep the offense moving. Bridgewater is is as a backup QB, perfect. That's what you want. You want like he could come in if your starting QB has to miss a handful of games and you know you're not completely screwed if Bridgewater has to start you know, two, three, four games. You, you still at least have a chance. But I see this battle right now. It's got to be Drew Locke, but they are at least preparing for if Locke does what he did last year, which mm-hmm. wasn't pretty. Not pretty at all. It was pretty bad. I had to do the team preview uh, for the, I did the team. I didn't have to, it's one I chose obviously, but for the uh, Roto Underworld draft kit, the playerprofiler.com draft kit. And uh, yeah, I I, I remember looking at his, he was not at all. And Hey, it's not that it's impossible for him to turn it around, but chances are, I, I mean, it's just uh, it's not going to happen for him. So we'll see. But like I said, I'm predicting uh, Deshaun Watson there. Now we move on to the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston versus T- Taysom Hill. Um, I really I don't have much for this particular one other than I'm sticking with Jameis Winston. Uh, there's a lot of signs pointing to him probably being the guy. Um, and maybe Taysom gets in there for some some particular packages and whatnot. But I just I, and I know Taysom was the guy that started a few games last year when Drew Brees was hurt. A lot of people point that out, but I just feel full off season. You look at the team. I I don't know. I, I could just see this because they they've got like players like Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith. Like I I just. I don't know. I just feel like this could be an offense, especially with Sean Payton there, if he sets it up, that really Jameis Winston could thrive in, you know? And uh, but that but that's me. And there's always the possibility, you know, Taysom Hill been Sean Payton's pet project for a while now. There's always the chance. He says, I'm gonna see what I do with this motherfucker. And uh, and I, I mentioned the pro football talk um, with Florio and that earlier. And one thing he brings up is what he believes will decide it is because of Sean Payton and his affinity for adding new plays to the playbook constantly. Like who's going to be the quarterback that on a Sunday morning can, you know, adapt to a few new plays uh, better and, you know, for his money, it's again Jameis Winston. So I don't. There's a lot of factors there, but I, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be picking one, is gonna still be Jameis Winston. What about you, Aaron? Certainly. So when we compare these quarterbacks individually, like outside this bubble of New Orleans, I agree. Winston is the better quarterback. I think he's been 
playing solely quarterback for how long? (laughs) Whereas Taysom Hill has been more of a utility guy. As you mentioned, is Sean Payton's pet project. I, I know it's a very divisive thing. Are you (laughs) team Jameis or team Taysom? And I actually get the vibe that Taysom Hill will be the week one starter. Now this could be one of those nasty QB carousels. This could, this could be Miami Dolphins last year, Tua Fitzpatrick, where they keep going back and it's like, just choose someone. You know, what is it? It's if you, if you have a quarterback competition, you don't actually have a quarterback. Right. Both of these guys may not be the answer at all. The reason I believe Taysom Hill will be the week one starter is it, talk about long, long term planning here. Like Taysom Hill has been this guy that for well over two years, like Sean Payton is, he keeps telling us, and then his actions back up what he tells us. He keeps saying that Taysom is going to be the heir to Drew Brees. And, and certainly if Winston goes out and, and balls out, like Sean Payton's not going to be so stuck in his ways that he, that he benches Winston for Taysom Hill. But this is Sean Payne's been saying this for years that Taysom Hill would be the guy. And we saw Taysom Hill be the starting quarterback for four games last season. He went three and one as a starter. His completion percentage was 73% or better in three of those four games. And it fits what the Saints offense is like, that's what Drew Brees did. Drew Brees wasn't throwing deep passes or anything. Mm-hmm. And Taysom Hill doesn't either. Like in terms of, of arm talent. Yeah. Jameis Winston's better. Um, but Taysom Hill fits the Sean Payton offense. Now Payton also comes out and he goes, whoever wins the quarterback job, they'll build the offense. And there is, there is some truth to that, but I have a hard time wrapping my, my mind around like, how are you going to like, drastically change your offense for for a quarterback like and sean payton's been choosing these players you know traquan smith here on marquez callaway michael thomas because they fit a system they they are fantastic players but they excel in the saints offense that was run by drew Brees. that Taysom hill has shown that he can run as well Taysom hill had a lot of fantasy success during those four starts he, he had four passing touchdowns to two interceptions. Of course, with Taysom Hill, he's not the, – the hate is – the hate for Taysom Hill is that he's not Andrew Luck. He's not the prototypical, like, passing quarterback. But he does excel just in his own way. And, you know, he had four rushing touchdowns. And, and Taysom Hill, I believe, makes a, that offense more dangerous just because, like, when he's out there – you don't know what they're going to do. Um, now, this is the best advice I give in fantasy football is I did a startup draft, a startup dynasty draft. Jameis Winston was drafted before Taysom Hill. But I'm sitting there looking at Taysom Hill. It's a super flex draft. It was round 15 or 16. Why not? <laughs> it was like the last, the last quarterback that could possibly start. And, and, and I checked the odds. There's the website action network has the Vegas odds for the two QBs that should be uh, a neck, a head to head battle, neck, 
neck and neck, like should be a coin flip. Like everything you could read, you could literally Google Saints quarterback battle. First article say Winston will be the starter. The very mm-hmm. next article say Taysom Hill's clearly the starter and it keeps alternating. Like it should be more 50-50. The odds do have Jameis Winston as the favorite, but it's some pretty big odds. Like Winston has negative 185. Taysom Hill is plus 240. Like it's if I was placing a bet, I'm taking the taste pill side because this should be more 50 50, but they are putting Jameis Winston like it's almost like double the odds mm. there. And, and that to me seems a little strange. Like I, I just feel like there's a better chance at those odds to take Taysom Hill, especially when we talk about week one as well. I believe Taysom Hill will be the guy. Now he screws up. Like the, the team has made zero commitment to either quarterback especially financially, like very low money. Both guys are going to be free agents at the end of this year. So that makes it a true quarterback competition. But I do wonder, I'm like, why, why didn't Winston get on the field last year? Like I, and people would say is his first year in the offense, but the saints did that with Teddy Bridgewater. Like yep. Bridgewater got on the field before Taysom Hill, but Taysom I Hill. Have, oh, you got something on that one. I, I have a theory. I think when Drew Brees got injured, I do think Sean Payton wanted to see what he could do with Taysom Hill. Now, mm-hmm. I know the stats. I know they went three and one. But I also wonder, <clears throat> you mentioned he's <clears throat> backed up a lot of his uh, words with actions pertaining to Taysom Hill. But it feels like this time he hasn't. Like you said, there's no real commitment to him. If it was going to be Taysom Hill, his pet project, if he's been building towards this, why is there even a fucking competition, I guess, in my mind? And that's because I wonder if Sean Payton didn't see something he wasn't impressed with and maybe thought, hmm, maybe I would like to see some more Jameis. Because there was a couple of times last year where Jameis got out there for a play. He did get on the field um, a couple, I think at least a couple of times. I'd have to yeah. look up. Um, but yeah, He had some passage him, definitely. So I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I definitely like some points about what you were saying with the system and all of that. But then I also wonder about that. He's been doing shit so long because of Drew Brees and all of that. Maybe he welcomes the idea of opening it up a little bit with the Jameis Winston type. So I, I, you know, maybe I'm falling for what a lot of what I'm reading could be true, but it's, it's also to me, like it, 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 yes, they've been doing this for years. This is what they've been doing with Drew Brees and all that. They also haven't won shit. They won one Super Bowl years ago, and uh, it was very questionable how they got past the fucking Vikings on that shit. Like, that that, that game pissed me off. Well, it was also Adrian Peterson couldn't hold on to the fucking ball. Anyway, I don't have any problem with that game at all. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they really haven't done much winning in the playoffs at all. And and so – it. Maybe it's time to change the system up a little bit. I mean, it, is it just, hey, you, you go with Taysom Hill instead of Drew Brees and it's you're going to be winning more in the play? I don't know. I just <clears> – I got a feeling that it's it's Winston. There's a reason he's still around. There's a reason there's not a huge commitment to Hill. And I think all of that leads to let's see 
what we can do with Jameis is what Sean Payton's thinking. And then he's still got Taysom there for some packages, for some plays. And if, you know, Jameis starts turning the ball over, okay, then we adjust what we're doing. Maybe we put it. So, you know, it definitely could be a carousel, as you mentioned, but um, I definitely uh, see Jameis. So we'll just have to see how this one goes. We should figure out my next spot. We should figure out some sort of wager for this. (laughs) My closing statement on this is now that we've, we've each taken a side on this one, we know that the very first play of week one for the Saints is going to be a package that has Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. That would be fucking hilarious. (laughs) And it'll be like a pass from Taysom Hill to Jameis Winston. And then like Winston like throws all the other passes. So then it'll be uh, like, who actually wins that one? So it it is a, I, I can't remember a quarterback battle quite like this. It is. Yeah, it's weird. It's, odd like i feel like this is truly the first qb battle in recent time where i'm like it is it, it is 50 50 like sometimes there are qb battles like a drew lock teddy bridgewater where you're like okay yes they brought in competition but the incumbent young quarterback should still have a leg up in the competition this is truly one where we both made our points and we both see the other side and we go yeah, it's hard to really get any any vibe. And good luck trying to like find out any information from the people that cover the team because it's split. It really you, you will find whatever you want to find on the internet. <laughs> if, you, if you believe Taysom Mill is just a utility guy, you can type in QB battle. That will be one of the first things that pops up. Right. If you believe that Winston is just it's maybe overhyped on it that's you'll find you'll find that it is it's fun <laughs> it's fun mm-hmm. to speculate and i'm up for a good wager too so we'll we'll think of something on that oh for sure for sure that'll be fun friendly little wager all right well that's what we got for quarterback stuff we'll see how this goes i guess we didn't um tie a lot of that shit in with with like i guess how it would affect fantasy players but obviously you know you get uh, the better quarterbacks in there you're you're you know you get fields in there eventually he's going to be better for the skill players than andy dalton so yeah. I, I guess you know that's we don't necessarily have to get into that but we move on to the tight ends we want to talk a little bit about this because you've got you know kelsey kittle waller they're at the top, right? You got those top three for the past few years. They've been the shit. And, and you know, nobody really comes like super close to them. Now, last year you had a couple of guys. Tanyan was up there. He was actually the third tight end. Kittle was hurt, banged up last year. And then, you know, TJ Hawkinson was pretty far up there. I believe he finished fourth or fifth. And so you had some guys getting close. And then, you know, Mark Andrews as of recent has had a couple of good years. So you've got some players. Is there anybody that gets up there in your opinion, cracks that top five and, and, you know, maybe even comes close or eclipses one of the top three. Interesting. So I have some names. I love that this section in particular, love the tight end position. Me too. And I went a little deeper because I think most people's consensus number four is Kyle Pitts. 
And that's not going to be one of the two guys I talk about. Uh, it seems like Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson, those two guys have been the next tier. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go just a little bit below because always in, in my redraft leagues, if I don't grab one of the top two, or in this case, there seems to be a, a top three tight ends of Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle. I'm not grabbing one of the early ones. I'm waiting. I am going to be one of the last ones drafted tight end that caused me to miss on like Darren Waller last year. But usually more often than not, the strategy works out well for me because the, the draft capital that you can use to shore up on running back receiver and then using a double digit round pick on tight end is quite helpful. So the first tight end I want to talk about, you mentioned George Kittle. This guy's best comparable player is George Kittle. And, and we forget about this guy because there, there were some injuries. There was a weird football game where he didn't have an NFL quarterback throwing him the ball because of COVID. It's Denver Bronco tight end, Noah Fant. A lot of the things that, that we look for in tight ends. If there's one position in fantasy football where athleticism can can carry you. Like you don't even have to have necessarily a lot of talent. You mentioned Robert Tanyan, he's a former receiver that has athleticism and allowed him to be heavily involved in the, in the red zone. He caught 11 touchdowns. That's how he finished as such a good fantasy tight end. Noah Fant, his athleticism's off the charts. People hype up Kyle Pitts. They're like, we've never seen a prospect quite like this from an athletic standpoint. We absolutely see prospects like this as recently as Noah Fant from a couple of years ago. It's top 10 in efficiency stats, such as yards per route run, target separation. Um, also, it was, it's a negative one, but like he had four drops, which was the 11th most amongst tight ends there. So it's like, okay. Drops, I'm never worried about drops. They suck when they happen, but most guys, like you'll have players that, they can't seem to squeeze the ball at all one season. Next season, they go out and they're fine. They, they'll have zero drops, one drop. Like drops fluctuate so much. So I'm not worried about that. Top 10 in productivity, receptions, receiving yards, fantasy points per game, yards after the catch. That's a, that's a big one. I like tight ends that have that athleticism to create after the catch. Noah Fant had the, had the one play. I don't think it was last season the year before where he catches just the short little pass and he you know the play yeah, yeah he just and and i see that and i go holy smokes like he's mm. fast and also good luck if he catches the ball like he can do that crazy also one of my other favorite stats when i'm looking at okay who are some guys that can truly break out unrealized air yards Obviously, Drew Locke in that cannon that was all over the place mm-hmm. meant that there was some passes that just there was no way Noah Fant could come down with that. So if that could be a little bit better, or even if they go to Teddy Bridgewater, like we're actually going to tie some fantasy football into this. Bridgewater, if for fantasy purposes, I want to say he was the most accurate quarterback in some of those efficiency stats. Now, take a pinch of salt with that and he's teddy check down there but like that can work we just I just mentioned yes it's it's a play but like it it shows what what fant could do okay you take a short little slant uh pass to noah fant and that's all he needs he's, he's gonna create he's also top 12 in opportunity metrics such as routes 
route participation, targets, target share, air yards, deep targets, hog rate, which hog rate is going to be when he's actually on the field, <laughs> like how often he's he's featured there. Like there was the the three main metrics of efficiency, opportunity, and productivity. When I can find those guys that have that that excel in all three of those, and they're there's a guy right in the middle of that Venn diagram. I'm like, that's a guy to target. And we're forgetting about him. Everyone's hyping mm. up Hawkinson. Like you don't really hear much at all about Noah Fant. Um, athletic tight end with, that can excel in all these metrics. I looked at the last three games last season. Week 15 through week 17. Here's some of the stats. Week 15, he ran 37 routes, targeted 11 times, eight catches, 68 yards, a touchdown. Week 16, ran 36 routes, targeted nine times, six catches, 65 yards. Week 17, ran 30 routes, targeted six times, four catches, 48 yards. Seeing the amount of routes he was running, seeing the amount of targets, that, so that was 26 targets. That was almost nine targets a game. I know, small sample size, but and, and Portland Sutton is coming back. I know that that will affect things, but Noah Fant has the, the type of volume. Like all he needs to do, he only scored one touchdown in those three games, but seeing the routes and the targets, I'm like, holy crap. That's what we're looking for when we want a top five, a top five tight end or a guy mm. that, that has that ceiling there. And, and of course, Fant is, he would be considered one of the late round tight ends. Let's see his, his Dude, underdog. Him. Yeah, it, I absolutely love him. His underdog ADP is 98. I know. Last I, love year, I have no idea why people are so down on him. I don't. I, it's it's because it's that QB situation scares folks. But that 98 ADP, what I like about that is like this takes me back. Takes me back to when I first started with Roto Underworld. I was hyping up Johnny Smith. I was like, this guy has got the opportunity, the productivity, the efficiency metrics, like he, when he, when he has all this, it's good. Now, fortunately, he never really got opportunity, made up for it with touchdowns, but John O. Smith, it was like, here's a guy right outside the, the top 180p that could be one of the top guys at his position. Noah Fant is technically, he's inside that top 100 with an ADP of 98, but still, we're sleeping on way mm. too much like that. So that is what well, that's outside the that's just inside the ninth round. Hey, if you're going to miss on Kelsey, I mean, Kelsey's going to be a first round pick. Waller's going to be a second round pick. Kittle, second or third round pick. Mm-hmm. Like, hell, why, why in the world are, are we drafting tight ends fifth, sixth round? Like, if you miss on the top three tight ends, Get, get your running backs and receivers, get, get some depth there, and then mm-hmm. go ninth round. I've got Noah freaking Fant that has that checks like almost all the boxes we look for. <laughs> right. Now, I have another one, but I, I'm going to, just in case if I take your guy, I'm going to let you go with one of your tight ends here. Um, well, there's a few I looked at. Noah Fant was actually one of them. Um, I considered talking about Logan Thomas. But I've really been picking up a lot of this dude in best ball drafts. Um, and I might be getting him in the rounds you're talking about where <laughs> fifth or sixth round, but I really 
I really like dude's opportunity this year, and that's Dallas Goddard. <clears throat> now, eventually they're going to be moving on from Zach Ertz. Goddard's going to become the main guy in this offense with Jalen Hurts, who, if he plays well, like a lot of us think he can and will, he's going to be one of the primary targets. Because, again, this is a receiving core that really needed help. I do believe Jalen Rager is going to have a better year this year. And I do believe, even though I was not the biggest Devonta Smith fan, I believe he landed in an excellent spot. So I actually like the two receivers. But that's that's what's going to make them actually potentially dangerous. If Hertz is playing well, you're going to have two good receivers and then this tight end. That's going to be tricky to cover. And really, you look at some of his metrics from last year, and he was sixth in average target distance, seventh in deep targets, okay, eighth in fantasy points per game. Now, this is, you know, with the turmoil, with the coaching and Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts and all of that, and Zach Ertz still there, and blah, blah, blah. And then you look at some other stuff. True catch rate of 92%, which was sixth at the position. Target premium, sixth as well. Production premium, sixth as well. This dude is efficient, and I believe the opportunity goes up. If the offense is a little better, I really believe. I mean, because one area where you look at is eh, he had three touchdowns. Okay, that's got to go up if he's going to go up, uh, uh, the, you know, the tight end rankings or you know, but so he's definitely going to have to improve that. But if the offense improves and they have, you know, hurts there, these other wide receivers, I, I mean, this could be potentially a big year for Dallas Goddard. And uh, so I'm a big fan of him. I believe in him this year. And, and it's really crazy because I never really cared too much about him before. I didn't necessarily dislike him or think he was a bad player, but I kind of liked what I saw out of him last year. And just looking at things this year, I believe he has a chance of getting to that top five. So we'll have to see. There is a new coaching staff and all of that. But uh, that's one of the guys I really like. Oh, I love Dallas Cotton. Um <laughs> I I was upset that Philadelphia took him as a, as a Cowboys fan. I really wanted Goddard, um, and then they wanted to change his name. I'm like, no, he's Dallas Goddard. Uh, right? Yeah, ex excellent point. Like especially when we're looking for top five tight ends, um, if the tight end can be the number one receiver, like that obviously really helps their case. And right now, yes, they've invested first round draft capital, as you mentioned, Devonte Smith and Jalen Raper. But let's just say maybe those guys aren't aren't alphas there. Maybe they're guys that excel because they got a guy like Goddard to be the primary guy. So Goddard's yeah. definitely someone I was looking into. And yeah, there's a reason his ADP is the way it is. Um, how about a tight end that so many people were super high on last year that us in the Roto Underworld were warning people to pump the brakes? Don't you love it when? when we come full circle in these players, because what's our <laughs> motto here? We don't hate players. We hate, hate ADPs. ADPs. I wrote a piece last off season telling people this would be the biggest bust at the tight end position. One Mr. Tyler Higby. Mm -hmm. This season 
is the perfect time. I love picking up Tyler Higby everywhere. Dynasty, best ball, redraft, and here's why. It's a very simple thing, but Gerald Everett is gone. He's gone. <laughs> In Seattle. <laughs> He's gone to Seattle. Now, also an may- intriguing player in an intriguing spot, but uh, you continue because of his athleticism. Now, here is why that very simple thing of a player being gone matters. This is this is something that I think some people know in fantasy football, but in case you don't know, since 2019, Gerald Everett missed five games, and there was a sixth game where he basically missed the game. He did not play many snaps at all. So I kind of grouped that that game in there. In 2019, week 16, he played like 7% of the snaps, which is going to be like less than five plays. I grouped that in there. In six games without Gerald Everett, this is where he finished. This is where Tyler Higby finished in fantasy points for that week. Week 13, 2019, 23.7 fantasy points, number one at his position. The following week, week 14, 18.6 fantasy points, number five at his position. Week 15, 23.1 fantasy points, finishes number three at his position. Week 16, a game where Gerald Everett technically played, but less than 7% of the snaps. 19.4 fantasy points, number seven at his position. Week 17, 2019, 22.4 fantasy points, number one at his position. Week two, 2020, 28.4 fantasy points, number one at his position. Mm. That is the people, if they they weren't keeping track of that, those six (laughs) weeks included three number one tight end weeks and his lowest ranking was number seven the when everett's gone higby becomes hogby at the tight end position he played at least 82 percent of the snaps in all six of those games and yes the rams they they do well in 2019 they played a lot of 11 personnel three wide receiver sets they did transition and play some two tight end sets and 12 personnel but when Everett was gone, Higby was heavily involved. Also, they lost Josh Reynolds, I think is a replacement level talent. And yes, I know Higby's not a receiver. But what if Van Jefferson, a lot of people are hopping him up in Dynasty. What if Van Jefferson is just a dude? Like what if he's not able to truly replace, truly be the number three receiver? Mm-hmm. Higby shown that he is more than capable being involved as a tight end. You mentioned TJ Hawkinson. Um, the reason I bring up Hawkinson is his QB last year is Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford. Stafford. Very Stafford good point. Can, Stafford can make tight ends fantasy relevant here with the Rams. Yes, there's Robert Woods. Yes, there's Cooper Cup. But Tyler Higby could be that third option in the passing game. And man, we're one injury away. <laughs> from one of the top two receivers where Higby becomes Hogby again. And in the efficiency metrics, they don't lie. He's top 15 in like all of the efficiency metrics, which included some of the ones I want to highlight. Number two in target premium, number four in production premium, number 12 in fantasy points per route 
and number eight in fantasy points per target. He is an efficient machine. He's been productive without Gerald Everett. So you mentioned Gerald Everett is gone. He went to the division rival Seattle Seahawks. And the great thing is his ADP right now is right in that range of Noah Fant. He's actually going right above him. So it's 92 ADP. I like that. Like, hey, if I don't get one of the top three tight ends in the eighth, ninth round, I can get Tyler Higby or Noah Fant. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Dude, I actually love it. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I was sleeping on him a little bit. I was sleeping on him a little bit. So that's good info. Bring me around on the Tyler Higby. I've never really been big on him, but a large part of that because Everett's been there and I've liked Everett a little bit more. And it's always been kind of, you know, a power struggle. But yeah, they're both great options this year because of their situations. And uh, I think I've got one more. I'm going to make it quick. It's a guy in another good situation. No competition. He is the starter. And uh, if Jameis Winston gets the job, I really see this being fantastic. And that's a one Adam Troutman. Now, this is someone a lot of people were excited about last year. And uh, it doesn't feel like people are as excited about him this year. You know, it's kind of freaking weird. And, And really, this is a guy who, if you look, back to his metrics and some of his college stuff to get an idea of what kind of player he is. Okay. Average 40 yard dash speed score, burst score, but then 95th percentile agility score, 81st percentile in catch radius. This dude's college dominator is in the 97th percentile dude can ball. Now you put him in a position in what is normally a high-scoring offense, if it continues to be this way, you got a guy in a productive offense, a good offense, with no competition at the position. And really, I like Marquez Callaway. I like Traquan Smith. But really, it's kind of Thomas and Kamara. And then eh, it's kind of up for grabs, that number three spot. And it could change from game to game. But I do think... Adam Troutman's going to see some big games. And to me, this is a perfect dude to grab at the end of best ball drafts because he could have some huge fucking games. I don't know how consistent, but we'll have to see how it plays out and what happens with the quarterback position. But uh, I, I love Adam Troutman this year and, 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 and in dynasty going forward. And I would also say uh, because his best comparable player is a one Dallas Goddard who I previously mentioned. So that's what I got for you on tight ends. Love it, love it. Can I hit you with a dark horse candidate? Like yes, we're talking double digit rounds. Currently, his underdog ADP is a hundred and sixty point nine, and falling and falling almost half a round. This is insane because last season he finished in the top twelve in fantasy points per game. He had a stat line of 60 catches, 613 receiving yards, four touchdowns on 92 targets. He ran 248 slot snaps. That was the six most amongst tight ends. He was involved in, he ran routes, participated in routes 82% of the time. That was top 10 amongst tight ends. And he was on the field a lot. He played 87% of snaps. That was number five amongst tight ends last year. Now, I will say his team changed. He played for a different team in 2020, but 
he did sign a pretty big contract with the New England Patriots. And it's not John U. Smith. Oh my goodness, it's not John U. Smith. Because John U. Smith got about 20 picks before him, but Hunter Henry at 160. So that is outside. You you currently can get him outside the 13th round. Now, yes, this is best ball drafts. Those drafts may change, but he's clearly going to be a double-digit tight end in fantasy football and redraft in 2021. I'm following the money here. John O signed his big contract first. Hunter Henry signed a very similar contract in terms of the average annual amount of, of his contract there. But people have been going back and forth with the two tight ends, John O. Smith and Hunter Henry. Who will be the tight end one? Does it really matter? This, this offense, the, the Patriots made their big offseason commitments to both those tight ends. Yes, they signed, they signed Nelson Aguilar. He signed a two-year, $22 million deal. That's decent money, but that's not what Hunter Henry and John Smith got. Mm. They signed Kendrick Bourne to a multi-year contract that they can get out of after one season. It's, it's really it's not much commitment at all. They clearly wanted to pr- improve this offense, and they invested in those two guys. That's the 1A and the 1B in the passing game. And I love John U. Smith. Everyone knows that. Everyone that follows me knows I love John U. Smith. John U. Smith is the more complete tight end, but that also means he's going to handle more blocking. Like he, mm-hmm. he was not involved in the passing offense with the Titans nearly as much as Hunter Henry. And especially at the, the difference in the ADPs, like I was shocked to find John U. Smith is around 140 and Hunter Henry's at 160. You got to take the just the odds, like hey, the thirteenth right. round, Hunter Henry may be that top that the top tight end on that team, and mm-hmm. even if he's not, he's at least the second uh, passing option there. Probably, yeah. yeah. Last year he had ninety two targets playing as tight end on the Chargers. Why can he not get ninety two targets here in New England? And he finished. He averaged ten fantasy points per game last year. That was right inside the top 12, as I mentioned earlier. But he's not that far away from finishing top five in tight ends. If he scores some more touchdowns, a couple more touchdowns, he gets up to that. Like, that's how close it is. Because we mentioned Robert Tanya. I'm going to pull up how many, how many fantasy points he averaged last year. So Hunter Henry, 10.4 fantasy points. That was a – he was a – for him and the expectations, that wasn't good for Hunter Henry. But at the end of the day, that still was just outside top 10. I can't even pull up Robert Tanyan right now. Nothing's showing up. There we go. So Robert Tanyan, he averaged 11.8 fantasy points. Mm-hmm. So a difference of one fantasy point is where you go from number 11 at the tight end position to number right. five. Like it, it won't take much. Uh, on mm-hmm. We don't know what the Patriots offense is going to look like. It scared a lot of people. I think that's why Hunter Henry's ADP is so low. Oh, but for sure. Hey, if you really, really, really want to punt the tight end position and save it for like to where you cover all your running backs, all your receivers, you've grabbed your quarterbacks and you're like, hmm, I need to get a kicker in defense because you still play in those types of leagues, um, but you don't have a tight end, you could easily go tight end, defense, kicker to end your draft and you're streaming tight end. 
I've got Hunter Henry. There, there's some upside. Yeah, if you don't get one of the top guys, there's so many guys late that are bound to have some good games, yep. a la Troutman. Um, who the fuck did you just mention? Henry. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, yes, I, I like a, Gerald Everett, as we mentioned. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I dig it, man. I dig it. Okay. All right, man. That was good stuff, man. I like those comments. I like tight end conversation. QB battles is fun. Battles in general are kind of fun, you know. <laughs> uh, all right, buddy. You got anything to uh, add on at the end here before we get the hell out of here? Man, what a lot of fun we had discussing quarterback battles and tight ends. I love the tight end position. <laughs> but, man, I'm looking at the clock. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Fuck yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> to, not quite as late for me, a little bit earlier here, but I, I'm with so you. Peeling the curtains back for people listening to the show. Right. <laughs> You'll it's listen to, to this on Tuesday. Just know we were up very late recording. <laughs> very late. Having a blast. I wouldn't change it for anything. Like I said, That's Mondays, right. Mondays, recording days, highlight of my week. I absolutely love it. And I'm sitting here on one of my, I got three monitors in front of me and I can't reveal anything for, uh, for people listening, but we're working on getting some guests here. And I finally oh, yes. have heard back from, from one that I'm really excited about. Hope that we can get on the show. I can't give the name yet. We'll shock some people, but excellent. That's it excellent. For today. Like I've got no more. I, yeah. I love me neither, man. That means that I was going to say, I agree with everything you said and, uh, and yeah, lovely to do it. But uh, on that note, um, let's beat feet. You know what I mean? Let's do it. <laughs> and this tea party. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Very much appreciated. As always, much love. Stay safe. Stay vigilant. Stay mad. Cause the best of us are. That's great. Have a great weekend. Until next time. Top off with that. Peace out, Darren. Peace out, people. Light us.